Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spirit Seeker Hour. Spirit Seeker Hour is your chance to delve into the world of your inner spirit. The Spirit Seeker Hour is brought to you by Spirit Seeker Magazine. Go to www.spiritseeker.com to find out more. And now, here's Cindy Meyer. Hello and welcome. And this is the weekly Spirit Seeker radio show and... It's hard to believe that Spirit Seeker has been published for 19 years, and the October issue was printed today and is being shipped to all of our Midwest cities that uh, received the print edition. You can find it online. The September issue, of course, is there now as well as many other years, but the October issue will be online October 1st. And I do just want to make a couple of announcements before um, we go right into our uh, show tonight. Uh, Starting in November, so we have... Tonight, next week, and then two shows in October, um, and then I'm taking two weeks off, and then when I return to the air in November, we will start at an 8 o'clock uh, start time, 8 until 9 in the evening. The reason for this is that we have listeners East Coast to West Coast, and while the East Coast um Folks probably love that we're at 7 o'clock. I always get emails, I wish it wasn't at 5 o'clock. I wish it wasn't at 6 o'clock from our West Coast friends. So in order um, to meet more people where they can listen live and uh, ask questions of the speakers and guests, we're going to be switching to that format. Okay, so what else? There's just so many wonderful events happening throughout the Midwest, and, uh, you know, I could go on and on with the articles, but um, the September issue, as I said, is still front and, front and center, and there's some really good articles. One is How to Overcome Chronic Pain with Mindfulness, Non-Traditional Medicine Writing, and More. Um, another one is Mindfulness Community and Social Change, or A Hug from Patch Adams. So that is the perfect segue into bringing um, my guest on in just a moment. Her name is um, Mary Byrne uh, Eagle or Eagle. I'm going to find out. I forgot to ask that. And Mary is an artist. She's a writer. She's a professor. She's a watercolor artist. I know I mentioned that she's an artist, but she also works in different mediums. Um, she has found different ways to deal with pain. She was born with a hip uh, condition that I will let her explain. Um, uh, Many people know about dysplasia with animals, but uh, she was born with this condition, and her work um, and gift to us is to share. She's written a book, Silent Courage, and she will share with us this evening how she realized that most Um, Well, I'll let her explain it, but as we all know, when we feel a physical pain, that's what gets our attention, but there's so much more to pain and overcoming it. So, Mary, are you there? I would love to welcome you as my guest this evening. I I am, Cindy. Thank you so much. It is my pleasure to be here, and and happy 19th birthday again. I'm (laughs) sure you don't tire of hearing that. Well, it's just it's like in a flash, you know, you you I remember being in Sedona and meditating on Bell Rock and hearing, you know, start the magazine and have it in place, you know, like such and such time and you know, it was a newsletter before that and it was quarterly. Yeah. 
And, you know, and then we started out six times a year, and then Spirit said, um, excuse me, 12 times a year. So, you know, I'm sure I'm sure you, you've heard the, those little nudges, okay, now you've written the book, now it's time to teach, now, okay, how about if, you know, but, but let's hear your story. I mean, you know, I what was it like to have pain, I mean, from the time, from, from the beginning? Uh, well, you know, I, I guess in, in the process of writing the book and revisiting everything, um, uh, it, it made me, you know, evaluate a lot of things that I guess I just really hadn't thought about. Um, I, I never thought that my childhood or even my life was remarkable in any way. Um, I think as a child, because I never knew my body without pain, uh, I didn't know how a normal body felt. So that was probably an advantage uh, in terms of uh, being able to, to deal with it. But I think that um, uh, I made some wrong judgments uh, uh, about myself. I think when, you know, neighborhood kids were running back and forth and I was born in 1951, baby boom years, and there, were, there was 100 kids on our block alone. And everybody used to hang and run and play and stuff like that. And I really thought of myself as probably a, a bit lazy to say, you know, I don't enjoy running up and down the block. It's like, why didn't you think you think about getting something when you were down at the other end before we came all the way back? And uh, so I knew I thought differently than other kids, but but I didn't ever understand that they weren't feeling uh, some of of what I felt. Um, and uh, um, so I, I think one of the uh, um, challenging things for me, maybe more challenging than the physical pain, was the fact that the hip dysplasia that I was born with, uh, which is um, not that uncommon, in fact, sadly enough, in today, 2014, 40% of it still does not get diagnosed uh, during a, a child's young life. And so it was not uncommon that, that mine didn't get diagnosed. And I think um, in my case, the fact that I actually was walking on my legs and what the kitchen condition involved was that your, your leg bone, your femur, was incorrectly positioned uh, in my hip socket. And because of that, uh, and because your hip socket and your bones are all green when you're born, um, it just kept continuing to ride up, ride up, ride up. And instead of a hip socket that developed to be round and could hold a femur, mine became very flat, very shallow, and it meant that the bone was not going to uh, go back in. Uh, I've asked the expert down in Florida, Dr. Price, uh, what he thought my parents were told back in the 50s when they finally discovered it's like, oh, my God, how do we miss this? Get this kid. Let's use cast braces, see what we can do to uh, rectify the situation as best uh, they could. Well, his comment was that my parents were probably told I was going to be a cripple, that I should just not do anything to uh, put too much pressure on my legs like walk, <laughs> for instance. Um, and, uh, and so I think in hearing that, 
uh, their response was to say, you know what, let's just not tell her anything. Let's not tell her that she really has any, any you know, special condition. Uh, the difficulty in that, I think, was what I learned very young, that silence wasn't golden. Um, back, you know, in the 50s, there were a lot of things that, you know, people didn't speak about, they didn't share, they were just too too scary or whatever. Uh, and back in the 50s, there wasn't anything that could have been done. Hip surgery wasn't on the radar till almost the 70s. And uh, so it was like, hey, um, you know, nothing we can do. So I think the fact that my parents made a decision not not to tell me anything or explain anything in an age-appropriate way made it more challenging because I knew what I was experiencing. I knew ways that I felt different from other kids. Um, but what I what I didn't know was that that there was something wrong, and I think uh, my unacknowledged complaints led me to probably believe a lot of things that were just not true. That you know, uh, I I began to maybe even not trust adults and saying, you know what, I'm feeling something, but nobody will honor what I'm feeling, so maybe I know more than the adults in my life, and. Uh, uh, so, but but I know that my parents' intention uh, uh, was in a loving way to say, "Hey, we got to make sure that this kid is one tough cookie because she's got a tough road ahead of her." So I think in that respect, their desire to make sure that it was not going to be something that limited me, they surely succeeded in 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 that uh, respect. Well, and. You know, you're right about that time period. It's like what went on behind closed doors stayed behind closed doors. You know, yeah. it, it was a whole different way. And, and you know, there was also, um, I can remember my former mother-in-law, just any kind of physical deformity or anything like that was looked upon as, you know, that was a bad thing. You just, you didn't yes. want to admit. Yeah, you know, I mean, and she was. Sure. Yeah, I mean, and it was just the right. I mean, and hearing was, and I, and I think a lot of you know you 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 speak about a lot. Of, I mean, we all come from immigrant cultures, and I think that I know with the Irish, there was a very strong belief that uh, that if there was something wrong, that it was sort of uh, the the sins of an ancestor coming back to haunt the next generation. So, if you acknowledge that there was something wrong, you were acknowledging the fact that somewhere back along the ancestral line, somebody did something they shouldn't have done. Right, so it was like karma in a different way. Yes, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely right. Yes, mm-hmm. funny. yeah. But you know, but the whole thing with pain. Let's just talk about the subject of pain because, yeah. um, you know, in our culture, it's it, we, everyone wants to like immediately give you a pain pill or give you something. Let's just make it go away. Let's make it go away. So yeah. with your family not even acting like there was anything wrong, I mean that. Yes. Okay, so so were you more of an introverted child because of that, or it sounds like you were still just as outgoing as just you weren't going to run down the block? If you, uh, you know what, I I think that I I was definitely on the introverted side. I I think that I I looked to things that just made me feel empowered. Um, you know, I didn't walk very well, so I I ice skated, I roller skated. I mean, that was my bliss. Uh, uh, when I was eight years old and I got a bike, I was the happiest kid in the whole wide world because now I knew that uh, I I could trade walking for riding, and it was like, oh my gosh, this is a this is a, an acknowledgement that um, I don't walk that well. Um, right. 
I think that that I was because I think it was probably a bit of feeling, you know, how kids do that there that there was shame or guilt or it's like, hey, I can't do that. I mean, I I talk about in the book an episode that was very clear in my mind about first day of kindergarten and and going in and asked to to uh, be able to sit around uh, the circle with all my classmates and everybody was sat with cross legs as the teacher directed and I couldn't do that, so I just put my legs off to the side and uh, before I knew it my teacher was standing over me and forcing my legs to try to do what the other kids were doing and ah. it, it was very painful and and you know those was one of those days it's like I can't wait to get home and find out what's wrong here and then I think my parents you know mom was like well ask your father when he gets home and of course it was very late when dad would get home and probably I had forgotten my question and uh uh, you know, uh, life went on. I, I was right. just never given any answer as to why why it was different. So I think in, in those ways, I definitely felt a lack of self-esteem. But I, I gravitated to things that I, that I was good at. And my parents were both very creative. I think they supplied a lot of things. My dad had, was a little hobbyist oil painter, and he had a little studio in the basement. And we'd go paint, and, and uh, uh, my mother was extremely creative. Uh, uh, seamstress and uh, you know I think it just gave me a lot of curiosity to say hey let, let me give that a try let let me uh, you know I can sit down and do it let me let me see uh, if I can do that and I think it it made me uh, uh, take time that maybe would have been abnormal for any child, a, a young child, to sit and want to attend to anything for any length of time. But for me, it was like, hey, this is great. I love to do this. I can do this. So, uh, uh, you know, yeah. It's, it's so interesting how, um, you know, people with dyslexia, oftentimes, I, I, you know, I, I married um, a man who had dyslexia. His sister had dyslexia. His daughter had dyslexia. And because mm-hmm. I knew there was a pretty good chance we might have a child with dyslexia, I did a, I, ah. I just researched it. And it's so mm-hmm. interesting. Most dyslexics um, are highly, they're more intelligent than the average person. It's just their brain functions in a different way. But what they do is, um, I remember my um, my children's father saying that he always would never miss a lecture in college because his auditory senses, you know, were so heightened because, you know, he he had to hear everything because reading was such a challenge. And, you know, I was just talking to someone the other day yeah. who um, has spinal stenosis in the lower spine. So walking has become like where all of a sudden the legs give out, but he can ride a bike for 30 miles. Oh, because it's a whole yeah. different thing. It's like what you there, were describing. There you go. You know? And I understand dyslexia. My my right. husband uh, also has it and, and has got a photographic memory that I right. was jealous all through college on to say it's like, I don't think he cracked a book and, you know, made made uh, fine grades and, right. Right. <laughs> you know, right. I, right. I slugged it out reading and, and stuff like that. But, but you're right. I think that, you know, we do have that ability to gravitate to uh, – uh, how uh, how we learn best and what makes sense, and thank God for that. So, Mary, let's go in a different direction with pain. And um, I would really I know that you're you're teaching a lot now and helping people understand that there's more than just the physical. There's the mm-hmm. whole other components that go with it. So you choose which direction yeah. of it. Um, I, and, and listeners, if you do have a question, um, all you have to do is push one star or one pound, and we will be glad to take your question. Um, so just do that, and then um, we'll bring you on the air in just a little bit. But but let's go in this direction about pain as an overall experience and um, mm. 
and okay. what you've learned with this. Okay. Well, I, I think, uh, in, in fact, I think when you, when you talk about sort of that nudging uh, 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 thorn in your side that keeps probing you to say, you know, it's like do, do the magazine, do 12, 12 issues. I, I had a nudge in my side, and what my nudge in my side came from was the fact that when my pain was finally removed and I was 40 years old and the surgeons were finally in a position to say, yes, yes, we have to, we have to redo your hips, um, when my pain was overnight taken away, I was in a feeling, I, uh, I, I felt like I had lost my best friend. And, you know, try to get any orthopedic surgeon to understand that, you know, or even I remember asking, uh, it's like, okay, now, where's the support groups for people that were in chronic pain, and they're not in chronic pain anymore. And I just got strange, strange stares, like, what, what are you talking about? Aren't, aren't you so happy to be in this position? It's like, oh, I'm definitely happy to be in this position. But I know that mentally, there is still so much debris within myself system from carrying this for 40 years that I just want to be able to clear this cash out uh, of stuff. And, and I, I would encounter it in different ways. Um, so here I am, and I'm in a pain-free state, and physical pain is gone. Everyone's saying you're good to go, and I'm going to go and stand, uh, stand up from sitting in a chair. Well, all of a sudden, I'm looking around and, and kind of like Chicken Little waiting for this guy to fall. It's like, okay, now if I stand up, I know it's probably going to hurt. It's like, okay, okay, here it comes, here it comes, here it comes. And it never came. But I, I kept uh, wondering, who was I talking to? Why did I continue to have the expectation that pain would be there when, in fact, I knew that physically it, it, it had been removed? Um, I talk about in the, the book, uh, and, and I, I'm as lighthearted as possible, but I think some of them, when I look back on them, they were funny, funny instances. I, I recall uh, going and buying a jogging suit for the first time and, like, not even recognizing myself in the dressing room mirror at, at Famous Bar Southtown. It's like, no, who is that person? It's like, I, when I was a kid, I envisioned myself being able to have a wheelchair because that just seemed so comfortable and so wonderful. It, it, was a, it, it was an empowering thought. And here I am looking at myself in, in you know, um, in a suit that it's like, wait, I don't even walk well. How do I deserve to, to wear, you know, a jogging suit? So my self-esteem was still, still affected. Um, if a friend would say, hey, I'm going to go for a, a six-mile run, I would hurt for them. Uh, and, and I knew that they were doing it because they enjoyed doing it, but I couldn't imagine doing that without suffering some kind of, of penalty because there had always been a penalty for physical movement. And the older I got, the, got the, the, the more it was. So, um, so, I, so I knew that there was stuff. I, I knew it was in my heart and in my soul, the way I thought about myself, what I understood, and um, I just com continued to journal and ask uh, people that were in similar situations. It's like, hey, do you, do you feel like there's still stuff there? And nobody that I encountered um, was able to 
and to say that there was. But I do know uh, a within the last few years uh, they've done research, and one of the studies uh, up at uh, University of Michigan was on people who've had knee replacements. And what they discovered was that two years after knee replacement, the average weight gain was 15 pounds. Now, that doesn't make sense on, on, to the doctors and the, uh, the OTs and PTs. And, you know, they stand there saying, doesn't this person appreciate what they have? And they've got a new life. And, and I come from knowing that it's like they probably do. But where was that person prior to, to physically removing that pain? Had, had they been, you know, unable to get around for years because you're always told to wait till the 11th hour and I was told to wait till I was crawling in, in a doctor's office on my hands and knees and he would know he, it was time to do surgery. And those were exact words from a surgeon's mouth. Um, so, so on a lot of levels, and, and this whole thing of saying, when I, when I say that um, my pain was removed and I felt like I lost my best friend, what I, uh, I, I didn't mean that I love this friend, but we had tangled for 40 years. This was an entity right. that I spoke to every single day, all the time, and it was gone. And it was like calling up a best friend and nobody answered. And you're like, what happened to this person that I used to be in communication with and, and used to tell me what I could and couldn't do. I mean, we negotiated everything, uh, uh, you know, that, uh, that had to be done on a day-to-day basis. You know, it's like, Hey, if I do this, is it going to hurt? Can you wait till I get home? And you know, it, it was crazy, crazy. And, and I think the hard thing about, um, not being able to speak about it, not understanding what it was, was the fact that anybody who's in pain is probably got many conversations going on in their head in the same, it, all at the same time. You know, you're, you're thinking, it's like, okay, how far do I have to walk? How can I, uh, you know, make the least trip, uh, trips possible back and forth to the car or up a flight of stairs? And uh, everybody else is just sort of, you know, uh, logically probably going through their day. But I think any, anybody in pain has always got many, many conversations going on in their head because they're, they're always so aware of what is there and, and what they have to do and what they shouldn't do and what it's going to cost them if they do do it. And, and uh, so it's kind of, I mean, at times I think that it, it's very easy to understand how it would lead to depression and how it would even lead to making you think you were a bit crazy. You know, it's right. like, oh. hey, uh, and uh, so, yeah. I understand more than you can possibly know. And I'll, I'll uh, tell you why. Okay, well, right, right, so no, there, right yeah. before this. <laughs> Right before this radio show, I at, uh, at 4.30, I had my own, like, a healing session scheduled. <laughs> and luckily, you know, the person that I work mm. with comes to me. And um, huh? she, okay, in 2012, I fell and I fractured my right knee and fractured my mm. right ankle in three spots. And the mm-hmm. doctors, you know, wanted to put 10 screws on a plate in my knee. And I'd already been through that with my ankle six years before that. So I knew living in a wheelchair. And I... To this day, even though it's two years later, when I'm uh, really tired at the end of the day, and I live in a three level uh-huh. home, and I had to negotiate with the insurance company to give me a hospital bed for my living room. They're like, no, 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 you you know, you'll just, I'm like, for three months, I'm supposed to lay on a couch? I don't think so. And so, yeah. Yeah. okay, but, but even now when I'm really tired and I look at the steps that in order to go to bed at night, I, I look, uh-huh. do I have my glasses? Do I have my uh-huh. cell phone? 
do I have my um and and then last night it was like oh you forgot your book downstairs so it was another thing okay it, would you just rather read a different book or do you want to go get that book so I mean it's like a conversation yes. it's a little yes. and so what what but what triggered why I'm I can understand so much is okay so I my son's homecoming was over the weekend and mm-hmm. I asked this other mother would you mind if we sat together during the football game? She said, no, not at all. So I met her there. Her group of friends was at the top of the stadium in the last oh, row. Okay. Not good. So I looked at it and I thought, okay, I can do this. Mm-hmm. So up I go and it, and I have to focus and I hear two people calling my name yeah. and I'm just like, do I dare look without staying yeah. focused? Mm-hmm. So I get up to the top, sit there for two and a half hours, and then it's time to leave. Well, there were people sitting next to me, and I thought, oh, I don't want to have to, you know, move everybody out of the way. We were leaving a little bit early. So I looked at the big step down, and I thought, I can do this. I can. And I thought, can you do that? And I did it anyway. Even when I heard the voice, are you sure you can do this? Lost uh-huh. my balance, and these men grabbed my arm. I don't know what I would have done, but... But it stopped stopped me. But the ankle was talking, and I thought, okay, ankles represent moving forward in life. You know, hips represent your ability um, to receive joy and pleasure in life. And and ankles are all about, you know, metaphysically the the body mind connection is moving forward in life. And I, I thought, okay, and but I still didn't get it when my ankle was hurting. I didn't. That's how I just didn't make the connection until I slowed down enough, and I thought. What is, of course your ankle hurts. You took that big step. You almost fell. Someone grabbed you. And then, but then going down those steps, I looked at them. I got centered, calm, which is what I do. And I was able Mm -hmm. to walk down those steps at the football game. But of course, later, as with a lot of pain, like later when when it's quiet and you think, oh, oh, I can feel my shoulder. Oh, I can feel my wrist. And it's oftentimes, my experience anyway, and you share, in mm-hmm. energy healing, like the woman who worked on me is a Reiki master teacher. She's trained in healing touch. She's trained in Donna Eden energy medicine. Uh-huh. And she she reconnected the left to the right. She, you know, and I'm trained in a lot of this stuff, and she's been my student. But it's different when you're, like, getting worked on. And all I can tell you is uh-huh. it's like the mind with pain, as you know, everything mm-hmm. becomes different. So the when the pain's gone, you navigate everything differently. But I can mm. see where I can see where it's almost like a shock, like, okay, this is a whole different thing, but when someone has that gastric bypass or the new lap band surgery and they go from sure. being three hundred pounds to like hundred and eighty or hundred and seventy pounds, mm-hmm. a lot of times if they have not done the counseling and come to terms, you know, they, they normally won't do the surgery unless you agree to do the counseling afterwards. But sure. I never really thought about the fact that when you've lived in pain and then you're not in pain, there's grieving supports groups, there's weight loss support, there's every yeah. kind of support group. But mm-hmm. I've never really ever, until this conversation, Mary, thought about uh, this. This whole this is like a whole different portal. What you're talking about? Yeah. Well, and and I tell you what, one one of the sort of parallel things that I know I I've done for years, healing through the arts workshop at uh, 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 Pratt Cancer Center uh, at, uh, with yes. Mercy Hospital. And um, what, what I know from, from that is that there, there is a phenomena with, say, children who beat cancer. We're talking teenagers, and doctors are saying, you are, you are good, you're great, you're wonderful, just, hey, just go back to the life that you had before. And uh-huh. what they find is that the children don't always thrive. 
And and I've said to a few specialists, it's like, this is what I'm talking about. It's like, has anyone allowed them to process the experience? And for me, even writing the book, because I didn't realize that all the the uh, the healing uh, beauty of actually just telling my story, so I didn't have to continue carrying it for the rest of my life. And, uh, um, you know, like you said, you go through day-to-day kinds of stuff, and cumulatively when you look back and you say, well, here's what that taught me. Here's how that guided me. I mean, my my pain is is a thread that travels through my life, and um, I came to know it as as the messenger and, and not the passenger. But it took processing the whole uh, experience to get to that point and understand that. And uh, So this is just fabulous. I mean, the work that you're doing, I can see going in so many directions. You know, um, I mean, and I, just, I just think this is fascinating because so many people that overcome things really don't know how to language it. They don't, they don't even know how to put it into words. And that's where yeah. I think uh-huh. the emotional component of having a, uh, any kind of restriction from pain. You know, we know, you know, it's funny. Like I, I often will say, you know, when someone punches you in the stomach, you can feel that you're like, oh, but when someone hits you with words, you can't uh-huh. really see that. And it's the same thing what you're describing with no one could have gone into your mind and seen or felt what you felt, and then all of a sudden that's gone. It's like yeah. that's a total neural pathway. You know, absolutely, and and I think the sort of the ghostly presence that that remains that I think it takes a lot of things, and and ironically for years because it was my surgery was I was forty years old and it was back in nineteen ninety, and so you know ten twelve years I'm just it's like I've got to do something I'm so lucky to uh, be on the other side I'm I haven't been in pain for twelve thirteen years I understand what that whole situation is like I understand that people don't understand what I'm talking about, which was, you know, awkward. But I, uh, I was considering, just because I was an artist and I've been an, an art educator all my life, uh, it's like, okay, so just do paintings, do drawings, do things like that. And I had done some of that, but nothing, nothing really got to the core of what I wanted to say until one night driving home from school, um, I got uh, hit by a panel van that crossed over uh, into my lane and hit me head on. And I was thrown into a world of hurt with soft tissue injuries. And it was like, no, no, I I don't want to be back here again. I, I will do whatever it takes to crawl out of this hole uh, and and do it. And that is when I began writing. And, Cindy, I tell you what, that first week I, I wrote and I wrote and I wrote. I didn't do anything else. I don't think I showered. I, I, I got out of bed, took some pain medicine, slept for a few hours, and just continued to write. And at the end of the week when I look back at it, and I said, oh, my God, where did this stuff come from? I mean, you talk about sewage. You talk about, you know, uh, I was talking about having been a, a prisoner and a hostage. And and it was like, really, really? But that was sort of the dark shadow that this was the first time I was owning how deep and how raw that experience had been. And at that point, which was like uh, 2003, 
it dawned on me. It's like, okay, we're not doing any visual images here. We're writing it because this is a much more powerful tool. Uh, and like you said, I think it's a matter of saying that you're giving it a word. It has a reality. I could be very abstract with drawings and paintings about talking about pain, and it could be awful and it could be gruesome, but not as gruesome as actually using particular words to describe stuff. You know, I... I was in Kansas City. I don't. This was a long time ago, and there was an art exhibit um, from uh, women who were sexual abuse survivors, and the paintings. I mean, the paintings said it all, and it was like, huh? I mean, it, it, way more than words could have ever done. And I remember thinking, wow. And I because music does does music and art, any kind of anything like that, always like touches me, and sometimes. You know, I'll be listening to music and I'll just cry. I mean, and it's just because mm. it reaches a, uh, reaches a note, it our chord in the body. Mm-hmm. And you know, whenever we have pain, like to have that car accident, probably more than anything, it brought up all the other unresolved feelings. And the and you know the the reason myofascial workers and rolfers and all the people that do that type of work, they're they're trying to go down into the cellular memory of the tissue to bring that up and etc and it's like you know Uh all of it there i mean before i went to nursing school this is on the same tangent before i went to nursing school i thought i'm going to be a nurse assistant first to see if i can really handle this and so i'll never forget this one person who had he was a um an amputee and he Uh was very mean most people didn't like to be around him because he was on his buzzer every four hours for his pain medicine uh, so one one night the nurse mixed, they gave him a placebo. They, this is this was actually uh, cruel. It was uh-huh. actually very cruel on the doctor's parts. But you know, I was like you know very young. I didn't totally understand it until the following happened. Okay, this one night he didn't push his buzzer, and the nurse assistants gave the meds that the nurses put, lined them all up, and you knew you know back then it was different. And so um, so four hours he wasn't on the buzzer. I'm like, hey, wait a minute. He's not on the buzzer, yeah. and I went in there, and this I thought something had happened. He was sleeping so soundly, and I thought, oh, my gosh. Well, then they realized they gave him the real Darvacet and not the placebo. Uh. And for the first oh. time in who knows how long. And, you know, like when I when I fractured the ankle the first time, I remember someone just going straight across with their hand straight across my leg, and there's a uh-huh. memory. I was like, I was like, ow. You know, so, mm. so in the ARC field – there's all this other memories and all this other sure. stuff. And so for you to start writing, I bet it was just a catharsis on every level. Oh, just- my gosh. Well, and, and it was. And I, and I think I, 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 in my mind, I know that I had two pain journeys. The first one as a kid till the age of 40 that was very uninformed and I had little to no resource. I just, I just navigated as best I could. But then after the car accident where I, I just had soft tissue uh, injuries and the piriformis muscle in my back was in a knot. Well, not a major thing, but you've got to take your, your left leg and cross it over to the right side of your chest to be able to relieve it. Well, my, my knee, because of all, all my uh, uh, metal and titanium won't come higher than my waist so so anyway so it it was it was two years of of all kinds of physical therapy and stuff like that and the traditional we couldn't do uh you know uh uh 
knives, but we did needles and we did narcotics. And that ended me in a place of extreme illness. Uh, my liver was toxic. I was so sick. And I, I went to traditional medicine and it's like, we don't know what's wrong with you, but you are, it's like you got hep C, your, your liver is so bad. And basically they had no answers. And I said, you know what, if you're writing me off and I'm going to take this in my own hands. And I had, I have two of my sisters have been, uh, done our energy workers. One's in California, one's in Chicago. So we don't, we don't uh, live nearby, but I had benefited from that. And I just said, you know what, I, I, traveled this path once without knowledge or resources or much help. I am going to be the most informed person, and I am going to try every darn thing that I can think of to uh, uh, to be well. And so I went. I began having all kinds of energy work done, myofascia, uh, healing touch, acupuncture. I drank nasty Chinese tea. <laughs> I understand. I know. You know, and 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 ironically, I remember going back the first time. Now they're doing blood tests all this time because I have a fever that just won't quit, and it was part of the being ill. And I had every myalgia and arthralgia that you know. I think sometimes when I leave the doctors, the page wasn't long enough for everything that he'd write down, and. the so, medicine, uh, the medicine, um, medicine becomes the medicine. It's like you know. I yes, mean, most people. Yes. I mean, I have a friend who resisted getting her knees replaced. She just kept taking. Mm. Um, I guess it was Tylenol or ibuprofen. I don't remember. Huh? But she ate it huh? like it was candy. And oh well, Advil. Totally... Advil was my go-to candy. Yeah. Well, right. and I was doing. I was doing even like uh, uh, the the uh, um, the other the coax inhibitors, which most of them they took off the market. They just kept one of them, and it was the only one I was taking. It's like okay, so it's like you took all the other ones off the market. Should have been some sign that this probably is not the best medicine to be taking. Oh, it began but... with a V. It began with a V, Voxin or something. I remember okay. that one. Yes, uh-huh. I remember. Mm-hmm. But see, but they yeah. but they, but my girlfriend now has a totally like her liver is like compromised, and you know, uh, I mean, it's because she took so much of it, and then you know, here she yeah. is now. I look at the quality of life. She said both knees replaced. And, you know, uh-huh. um, I'm her personal energy healer. She doesn't really trust very many people. But I work on I work on I worked on her before both of her knee surgeries and after. And her uh-huh. recovery time was so much faster. But I look at oh, what, what part of her but you know what, we I think when we are in chronic pain and I speak for this not just myself but in you know, observation of others, I think that it just becomes so natural. You don't realize how compromised your life is until it's sure. different. And that's yeah. what you're describing. And and so I really, I want to talk about like what you're doing with the artwork with uh, and how you're helping people understand the whole mind, body, spirit component, like looking at it from a, a, an overview rather than oh. the one one way. Yeah. Um, well, I think that the uh, um, the uh, um, psychotherapist. I began blogging back in in '08, and uh, just in, I think uh, my youngest. I actually had a revision hip surgery, and my youngest is like, "Mom, you can do this. Why don't you? You know, you've always been so frustrated trying to reach out and get people to understand what you're talking about. Why don't you start blogging?" And I did, and it was like the oh my god, making connections with people that were were thousands of miles from me, but that understood what I was talking about. 
And I think that one of the first persons that I found was the the person uh, who did the review on the back of the book, Dr. Grinstead, who uh, he had the wisdom 30-some years ago to realize that if if there were people that had been in uh, an addiction situation and then were in a chronic pain situation, they weren't going to be getting any drugs. And so they needed every other resource that was imaginable uh, to be able to to be well, and um, so anyway, he was the one who after when he he reviewed the book uh, uh, for me, and he said, Mary, he says, you know what you did was narrative therapy, and I'm like, okay, I I don't know what what is that? He goes, oh, get this you know PhD book on <laughs> narrative therapy. It's like I got it. I'm like, Steve, I can't read this. I you know it, it it's a bunch of stuff. I said, but I can tell you what I know. I said, here's here here's what I know. I know that prior to writing the book, um, again, if a friend would have said, hey, let's you know go for a couple mile walk or bike ride together, I would be regretting part of that and thinking oh, my God, is pain going to show its ugly face? At, at, at the, probably the point where most of the book was written, uh, we were going to, out to San Francisco. Our oldest daughter lives out there. And uh, I mentioned to the family, I said, hey, who wants to bike the Golden Gate Bridge? And, and my daughter out there, who's never you know, done it herself, she goes, Mom, I've never thought about that. Are you sure you could do it? I said, I just want to do that. And so what I knew was that all the debris that had mentally still been, I'd been butting heads with um, for 20, 20 some years after hip surgeries. Now it's like, you know what? My first thought is, gosh, what do you want to do? And it's not, gee, I wonder what that's going to cost me in terms of pain if I try to do something like that. Um, so that's what I know. That's just one example of what I know has happened as a result of writing my story to connect with what I knew. Um, and, and there were there, it, it, it's a very intimate, uh, uh, sort of a thing. It's not journaling. It's not, uh, just light writing. You're writing with an intention. I mean, it's almost like you're, you're doing energy work on yourself. Now I ended up getting in and, and becoming certified in healing touch and Reiki myself because I loved, uh, so much, um, what what they had done, and I was knew I had to write about it in the book. It's like, well, I better try to you know un- understand it, and uh, so I I got into doing energy work, and so I think sort of the the cleansing that that I can feel with that is is the same kind of cleansing that I think I felt, and I think what workshop pers- participants are feeling to say. You know, you, you you can go through life and not really get down to some core things that your soul knows. And and I I don't believe that we we are our stories or or uh, some of what's happened to us. But I think um, by putting our um, our stories out there, outside of ourselves, it's like extracting some big you know thorn. Uh, and uh, so I think to be able to work with people to have them figure out what their story is, gosh, it is just so exciting and, and, and so healing that uh, um, 
it, it's awesome. I, it's an unanticipated, you know, benefit. Uh, I, I uh, expected I would be going back to teaching digital technology and art stuff and, and that. And it's like now I'm so busy doing this that it's like, wow, it just hits a chord that, uh, that seems to make sense. And well, you, uh, um, so, you found your purpose. You have found, you know, it's it's like, you know, you're teaching others. You know, the silent courage, and and I uh-huh. love the fact that your uh, book cover is one of your own artistic creations. You know, I uh. love that you're donating a portion of everything to the International Hip Dysplasia Institute. I mean, you're just it's coming full circle. Yeah, it really is. And and I think to be able to say, I mean, I look at the tapestry and I and I say, gosh, you know, pain wove its way in and out, but if I had not had it, gosh, I probably I was there a teacher for years and it wasn't until I got to the point I could hardly stand and I had to quit teaching that it's like, well, gosh, maybe I can open up a studio and and uh, uh I don't know that that I would have uh, stopped teaching and and done that uh, uh had had I been able to stand up and and do that. So there was so many gifts, I think, to be able to reframe it and say, because I, I, and I know you believe the same too, that I don't think anything happens with, without a purpose, without an intention to to push us somewhere or to nudge us in a direction. And uh, I think it's, it's just great to be able to take time and reflect back on on uh, you know the paths our lives have, have taken, and and I think I'm speaking about physical pain, but I think that it it really does cross over into psychological pain because I don't believe there's a difference. Uh, uh, it it's just you know the the stuff that that we bear, and it uh, uh, it it goes deep, and and uh, extracting it is, seems to be just a very a very healthy uh, process. Uh, well, I I just I think you're touching on something that you know most people just they don't want to talk about it. They it's it's still it you know I, I, I my mind's all over on this. I remember when I was working on my master's, which I did not complete, but I was <laughs> was a washu. I'd done a year of my MBA, then I did a year of no, I yeah MBA, then a year of counseling, then a year of social work, and then I just started Spirit Seeker. It's funny, but I can remember writing a paper on which comes first, um, alcohol and different addictions are sexual abuse. Like when the boundaries are lowered, does the abuse come after that? But what I found over and over with the research that I compiled to write that paper was that Uh so many people who became um, addicted to alcohol and or drugs to suppress the pain were, Uh you know, from sexual abuse that was, it's like the the pain was there, and then, you know, they were just wanting to suppress and take the pain away. And then, of course, sure. you know, as we both know, oftentimes emotional pain will manifest through the physical. And so mm-hmm. and, and most people never make that connection. They they only mm-hmm. know the physical. They don't understand that when we're in pain and other ways, it will manifest through the physical. So you, I, and I can remember a client coming to one time, she'd had three shoulder surgeries, and someone referred her to me, and... Uh-huh. So we got the, we got the story of that shoulder, and when the story of that shoulder came out, she could have had ten surgeries and it wouldn't have fixed it. It was, uh-huh. you know, it's she uh-huh. had to like be willing to do the rest of the work. And your blog, I I you know have read some of the entries and some of the work that you're doing. You are offering Mary like a voice for people who have never talked about this or don't uh-huh. for the first time they're hearing that you know someone understands. Uh-huh. 
Well, and I tell you what, it's so beautiful, and I, and I think uh, I, I'm so grateful for the Internet to be able to connect beyond our own physical area because I think that when you can see other countries, uh, uh, other people, that it's like there's there's different ways of, of thinking about this and doing it. And I, I think one of the things that came to mind when you were talking is that um, oftentimes people ask me, it's like maybe their significant partner is in pain, and they're like, I'm so frustrated. I just don't know how to talk to them about it. And uh, my feeling is is that there's, there's a very special language. And uh, it, if I was in pain and you came up to me and you said, well, gee, how, how are you feeling today? It's like what you're asking me to do is acknowledge how I'm physically feeling. And if I'm not really feeling very well, I don't even want to acknowledge that that pain is there. So you're coming with with a question that I don't really, really want to answer. But I always tell people, I said, you know what, if you come in the back door, and this is just one example of, I think, communicating with others about pain and sort of understanding the language, uh, if you come in the back door and, and you say to them, it's like, you know what, I can see that you're limping. You're presenting un- indisputable uh, uh, truth that is your observation. Now, that person can do with that information what they choose, but it's a whole different question than asking someone, how are you feeling? And I think that, you know, the more that we can open the paths of conversation to uh, 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 to talk about stuff. In fact, I was doing a, a, a talk uh, recently, and it was in a retirement center, and uh, um, the people were saying, it's like, oh, but, you know, it's, you really shouldn't talk about your, your pain that's complaining. And I said, no. I said, understand the difference. If you are experiencing, you know, extreme pain for whatever reason and your friends say, hey, let's go out to lunch, and you're saying, no, I can't do it because there's probably going to be stairs, and you don't want to reveal that to anybody, and you're just saying, oh, I just can't. I can't go out. I can't do lunch. Um, But if after um, not communicating just the fact, it's like, hey, can we go someplace that, you know, uh, is easy in, easy out, whatever, that it will be easy for me, that's communicating your needs. If you store it up to the point where you are just so, gosh, awful, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, disappointed and alone and isolated, and you're like, oh, my gosh, you know, now that's complaining. But storing up all those those little tiny things and not communicating specifically what you need. And I think it is important to to own it and to say, you know, uh, people will say to me, it's like, oh, my gosh, I went out and I worked in my yard and I did this and I did that, knowing that they were going to pay a big pain price for it. And, right. and I'll say to them, it's like, did you need to, did you need to do that? You know, uh, modify, owning it and modifying whatever it is that you can, reaching out, connecting. I think there's, there's just a lot of, of good strategies that uh, – that people can employ and use, but I think it gets to the fact that you've you've just got to love yourself enough to say, you know, I didn't create this. I'm not so happy it's here, but guess what? There's there, I uh, this is what I'm dealing with, and uh, um, you know, I think by by sharing, I think all we do is uh, in 
inform others what what it's like. I mean, you know, uh, none of us know where we might be on in every given year. Uh, and to, you know, let somebody know, it's like, hey, this is not fun. This is <laughs> how this feels. This is how I'm limited. Uh, you know, I, I think uh, um, they though that same person may find themselves in, in that place in years to come. So, you know. Well, and you've, you've had some fascinating book signings and um you know, I, my sense is that you have just begun with your speaking circuit, and you know, you're you're speaking to women and children. You're and you're from Chicago, so you your wasn't your first book signing mm-hmm. in your hometown, which was yes, cool. the, the very first one was yes, uh, mm-hmm, yeah. Uh-huh. So, 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 Mary, let's. I want to I, so that it's on and people can hear this. Will you please tell everyone how they can find your book, um, how they can find your blog? Um, I know most of us on your website, but let's give all your contact information if you would, please. Sure. Okay. Well, uh, the the book uh, uh, is available through uh, uh, local uh, locally here in St. Louis. Um, it's at Subterranean and it's at Left Banks. Uh, it's on Amazon. It's on Barnes and Noble. It's available in any kind of e-version that you need, Kindle, Nook, whatever. In fact, uh, um, I I would love to to your listeners, to uh, anybody who contacts me through my website, I would love to offer them a coupon for a free uh, e-version of of the book. And um, my website is actually just my name. Uh, it's Mary M A R Y. Uh, B Y R N E E I G E L dot com, and um, I we've got I, I'm doing actually I think I've got three four events coming up, uh, uh, two of them over at uh, a place I know that you are familiar with, Holistic Journey, Jen's place over in Swansea. Uh, I'm I'm doing actually a talk over there uh, Thursday night and a uh, a workshop on uh, October nineteenth. Uh, and, uh, um, so, but yes, I, I've, uh, in terms of it being available, uh, we we actually self-published, and and that was a bit of a a, a daunting process. But I think having been a, a, a college educator, I was fortunate enough to uh, understand a lot of technology, know a lot of people, know a lot of authors, and gifted people to say, hey, we can hire the um, uh, people to do these different parts of it, and they know what they're doing, and. Gosh, uh, it, it's uh, it, it's been a wonderful thing. So we're actually physically in uh, bookstores out in uh, Sonoma, Napa, Oakland, and San Francisco, and several in Chicago and uh, uh, here in in St. Louis area too. But but you can you can get it online just at Amazon or uh, Barnes and Noble or or uh, uh, anywhere. And uh, the links are um, on, on the website, or just go to go to Amazon or Barnes and Noble and uh, type in. Uh, my name is Silent Courage, and uh, and it will come up. So, well, and the and the workshops. Okay, so the one um, September twenty fifth coming up on Thursday evening is Whole Person Healing, and then on October nineteenth it's Mining Your Soul Story. So, and they, these are both at um, I love Jen's place, and as you know, she's had terrible hip pain, and yes. Um, I know. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I thought when I saw first that you were teaching there, I thought, oh, this is just fabulous because 
You know, people didn't listen to her. They thought she was nuts, and she wasn't crazy. Oh, she, she's got the typical story in terms of, you know, fighting the system to say, clarify there is something definitely wrong here. And, and I think oftentimes, uh, you know, the, those uh, injuries that can be so debilitating uh, because you're talking bone and muscle and all kinds of complicated things, uh, it's, uh, it is. Uh, detection can, can be tough. That's why even with the hip dysplasia today, 40% of it, it's not unusual for somebody to, at 40 years of age, all of a sudden just be crippled overnight with hip pain and say, what is it? And they go in and it's like, oh, my God, you've got all this wear and tear from that femur not being directly centered in your hip socket. And it's like having a, a tire on your car for 40 years that wasn't totally uh, locked in place. So, you know, after a period of time, uh, it's it's done some real wear and tear and damage. And uh, so, uh, yeah, no, looking looking forward to, to doing that. And I know Jen's got the health fair over there on October 4th. Uh, uh, we're right. we're going to be there for that, and uh, and then I'm also doing a um, there. There's a beautiful place, uh, Rock Haven Echozoic Center. Oh uh, yes, yes, down yes. in Hell. I mean, for a while they were quiet, and now I saw that you're teaching there. So tell the listeners yes. about Rock Haven because this is fabulous. Oh, it, it's it's an awesome place. I, when I first got connected down there, I didn't even know what the word echozoic meant. And uh, But they were wise enough to say that they had this beautiful property that had been someone's estate, and then it was a uh, uh, a religious nun's sort of retreat place. And, and so they had the chance to, to get it and make it whatever they wanted. And they realized there was no echozoic center in, in the Midwest. So basically, it, it is just a, a very beautiful, blessed spiritual uh, place where if you are looking to connect with nature and spirit and uh, uh, you know I, I think just being grounded in good practices on caring for the earth and, and things like that it's it's awesome and I'm, I'm doing a three day workshop down there in November uh, and the details are on the, the website but it's a combination of of mining your soul story and shamanic journeying and and Deza and I are doing it together and it's I'm so excited it's like this is going to be really cool uh so yeah and uh, it's just um, starting isn't it uh, yeah, it is. It. it is, and and bless <laughs> you for saying it's like it. It uh, because I hey, I've called into your show several times, and and you have had some some gifted uh, gifted words of advice, and 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 I thank you for shows like this because I think times when you know it was it was a year and a half of the editing process with the books, and there were there there were times where it's like oh my gosh, it would be just so easy to just <laughs> say. Why, why am I doing this? You know, I'm I'm losing my salary from teaching. I'm spending all my time doing this. I'm not familiar. I know how to paint. I don't know how to write. And you're working with editors that just keep posing hundreds and hundreds of questions. And uh, uh, I don't, not but understanding. I think you know. Not uh, <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's like, oh my God, call call into Cindy's show. Who, what guest is she, is she got? And I think, you know, some of the times that uh, you and Beatrix were just like so, uh, um, so affirming to say it's like, okay, okay, cool, yeah, no, let's just keep going. You know, keep going, it's, it's, keep uh, going. I know it's, it's like they come together, right? Yes, and actually, we've. I've even begun. I've got several children's books that that I have half written that are all about uh, uh, special needs kids that the the world isn't quite the way they need it to be, and they uh, um, you know uh, know how to fix it. But fixing it involves sort of confronting social and cultural kinds of things, and and so. Um, 
I'm actually uh, starting uh, uh, to work and illustrate on the first one of those, which feels absolutely wonderful. It's like, hey, it's, you know, uh, to, to be given a, a second career, to have had a career as an educator and an artist, I feel so blessed. And now to say it's like, okay, I didn't think I was a writer, but I guess I'm looking at a book I wrote, so I guess that makes me a writer. So. You know what? I just think you're doing marvelous work. And listeners, you can read an article by Mary in the September issue. I mentioned it front end, How to Overcome Chronic Pain with Mindfulness, Non-Traditional Medicine, Writing, and More. And I want to mention her website again. It's M-A-R-Y-B-Y-R-N-E. E-I-G-E-L dot com. Her blog is inspiring. There's so many different workshops that she's teaching. And, you know, it's funny. When I was reading your blog, I mean, I forget the name of the spa, the Halcyon Spa in Missouri. I didn't even know it existed. Oh, yes. You know, I was yes. like, where is this? And, you know, I mean, so I've just, you know, I, I it's just uh, insightful. And you've written for, you know, the American Chronic Pain Association's Chronicle, talking about how art can take a person outside of their pain and express. And, you know, I just, you just are doing good work, Mary. And I just am so grateful oh. that you found your way to Spirit Seeker and, you know, let our readers know about you and that you were a guest on my show. I just can't thank you enough. And um, is there anything else you want to share in closing? Just any any other? Anything. You know, I I, I think uh, uh, you know I I just thank you for the opportunity to you know to uh, uh, just continue to open the conversation and and share it, Cindy. And I think uh, it's just so great to think that we live in a day where so much of the work that you've done that I know probably even 20 years ago because I I've asked the question. It's like you know what I wanted to do this 20 years ago, but nobody understood what I was talking about. Oh, no. uh, and I've been told it's like you know what. Things weren't in place. Things weren't ready. And I think we just are living in such a phenomenal time to say it's like, wow, wow, the the world is opening up. It is ready. And for people to be open to uh, things that uh, non-traditional things that they perhaps would not have even considered before that it's we are so fortunate to to be there. So uh, thank you again for the opportunity to uh, uh, to to be on your show. Oh, my gosh. You're absolutely welcome. And it is a whole new world with the Internet. And just may more and more people find their way to you and what you're bringing to the table and helping so many. So thank you, thank you. And listeners, remember, this is the virtual blog radio, blog talk radio. This is recorded, and you can share the link with anyone and everyone uh, so they can find their way to Mary. So, Mary, thank you so much. And listeners, thank you so much. We'll be back next week. Have a fabulous week. Namaste. Okay, thank you, Cindy. Okay, all right, good night.